Hello. 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 Hello, my name is Matthew West, and I'm the host of this podcast. It's called the Matthew West Podcast. I really hope you like it. Hello. My friends, nothing like a pandemic to make you more health conscious than ever. Are you with me? These days, the West family has been making sure we're doing everything we can to keep the air in our home clean and toxin-free. Enter Simply Earth. This is an amazing company that we've fallen in love with. Their essential oil recipe boxes make it easy to master essential oils. At over $150 value, you're going to get four full-size essential oils and all the ingredients you need to make six natural recipes, all for just $39 when you subscribe. But check this out. These are not just essential oils that are going to help keep your air toxin-free. This company is on a mission to change the world, and here's how they do it. They're donating 13% of all their profits to help end human trafficking. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a cause that the West family can get behind, and that's one of the main reasons we support this company. We're going to get our essential oils somewhere. We might as well get it from a company that we believe is changing the world, and we get to take part in that. Now, this is like one of those meal subscription kits, but it's way more fun and a lot less edible. You get 100% pure and natural Simply Earth ingredients delivered to your door. You get to follow the fun recipes in your Simply Earth essential oil recipe box and make products that you know will work because they are created and tested by certified aromatherapists. Now, these oils are the purest oils on earth, literally 100% pure, tested. Only the good stuff, no additives. Here's what you need to do. Enjoy a home free of toxins by going to simplyearth.com slash west and use the code west to get a free $20 gift card with your first recipe box when you subscribe today. That's simplyearth.com slash west and get a $20 gift card with your first recipe box when you use the code west and subscribe today. What's up, my friends? Welcome to another episode of the Matthew West Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew West, and as always... I really hope you like it. Hey, we've had some exciting times lately. In case you didn't know, we just released the deluxe version of my album, Brand New. That's right. Brand New is brand new again. So be sure to check that out. Wherever you listen to music, you can find some pretty cool stuff. We kind of bundled all of the different alternate versions of songs, music videos, you name it. If you've loved the brand new album, be sure to check out the brand new deluxe version of the album and help us celebrate the one-year birthday of a record that means a whole lot to me. Speaking of celebrations, are you ready for a huge announcement? Okay, drum roll, please, wherever you are. Come on. Brrr, brrr. That doesn't sound like a drum roll, but hopefully yours sounded better than mine. Guess what? We are announcing our next virtual concert. Are you ready for this? West Friends Fest. West Friends Fest. It's taking place Mother's Day weekend. It's going to be awesome. And why is it called West Friends Fest? Because, well, my friends, we can't do this alone. We need each other. And in the spirit of community, in the spirit of promoting togetherness, I have brought together, I, well, I plan to bring together <laughs> a bunch of my friends who I've made music with in the past, and we are joining together. Special guests include Carly Pierce, Austin French, Micah Tyler, I Am They, Rhett Walker, Kane, Leanna Crawford, Baylor Wilson, Hope Darst, Ann Wilson, and special guest speaker, none other than the great Annie F. Downs. How can you be a part of West Friends Fest on May 7th through 9th? How can you be one of our friends? Well, it's easy. Silly, go to MatthewWest.com to get your tickets, all right? Now, as always, we want to make tickets super affordable. There are some VIP options that you want to check out for sure, but as a listener of this podcast, I love you, and I'm giving you a special $5 off your ticket when you use the code PODCASTPAL. That's PODCASTPAL. Say that five times real fast podcast pal you're gonna get five bucks off your ticket at checkout go to matthewwest.com slash tour matthewwest.com slash tour to get your tickets for west friends fest maybe you want to surprise your mom with a special date night in and you can watch this virtual concert with me and some of my friends it's going to be a virtual concert like we've never done before so get ready mother's day weekend west friends fest all right let's get on with today's show my guest today is, well, he's awesome. Let's just say that. Uh, in the spirit of how we've been learning 
you know, to let the truth be told in our lives, this is the perfect guest. He is a speaker, podcast host, a business leader, and a coach. He's the owner and CEO of OnSite, which is an internationally known emotional wellness lifestyle brand that delivers life-changing personal growth workshops, inspiring content, leadership retreats, and emotional treatment. Basically, this guy is plugged in, and he's going to teach us about the importance of emotional health in our lives, okay? So get ready for this. This is going to be really special. It's going to be good for the soul. Without further ado, let's go to the story house with my new friend, Miles Adcox. So here's what I did to prepare for this interview. Number one, I stalked you a little bit on social media, on your Instagram page, which is, what's your Instagram account? It's at Miles Adcox. Uh, I learned that you're a husband and a father of, uh, how old is your little girl? Uh, she's two. She's two years old. The other thing I did is I went back and I listened to some different interviews you've done. And in short, the best way I could describe everything that I've heard you share is there's at least one moment while you're speaking where it felt like you were reading my journal. So I just wanted to really set the table here today by saying that's really why I was super excited to talk to you, both because of what I feel like the Lord's doing in my life in terms of having a greater desire to work on me and let the truth be told, but also how that song's speaking into other people's lives and they're coming to me going, here's what's going on in my life. How do I do this? How do I begin to take these steps of freedom? And I just want to be a megaphone that helps provide wise words and encouragement for other people who are struggling right now. So can you just start by sharing what your hope is with these on-site workshops and the whole thing that you've built? And maybe we could talk about how you first developed a passion for getting into that. Well, I appreciate you affirming a lot of what you said about me and about our work and just the way you framed it up was pretty poignant and very authentic. I should mirror back and I, I thought just challenging and or being curious about the difficulty of standing in an authentic space and using an authentic voice and how that could be difficult to do in a public way. So I can I just want to start by saying I can really relate to that. I, I love the title of the song. I can't wait to hear it. Truth be told, I can relate to the pressure of, you know, it was easier for me at OnSite, which we're a, an emotional wellness retreat offering. You know, we have workshops and private intensives. Uh, we've got online uh, education opportunities, courses, and, and we've got a, a longer term residential program that specializes in mental health. And, you know, I think the whole first part of my career when I was initially doing like crisis interventions and I worked in addiction treatment for a while prior to to uh, getting on-site going, I operated behind the scenes. And I love the work as much behind the scenes as I have as I've stepped out front a little bit more to represent the brand and start advocating a little bit more out in culture. But I'll say there's a, there is an inherent obstacle that comes with trying to live into a message in a public way. And this is, it's ironically, it's what I've helped people who have public professions with for a really long time. You know, just how do you keep your feet on the ground and stay congruent to who you are, not lose yourself in the adversity yeah. of having a public profession. But now I find myself navigating some of those same things as I've been become by choice a little more public with what I want to share with the world, what I want to say, you know, working on a book and doing different things. And I can very much relate to because I talk about vulnerability and I'm a, a guy who talks about feelings and emotions and I talk about authenticity, then there is publicly a little bit of a, a pedestal that happens where people think that I just live that way all the time. Right. <laughs> I will say I'm honored to be armed with the tools and work in a space that kind of holds me accountable to it. But it's not any easier for me than it is anybody else other than I I, I do have a little bit of an advantage to be in that ecosystem all the time, but I can really relate to the challenge of saying, I want to do this. And then other people saying, well, do you do it all the time? How do you do it? You know, all that stuff. So I wanted to just affirm that up front. I love the part two that you said you read my journal. You need to write that song. <laughs> Journaling, you know, is scientifically proven to be beneficial. It actually lowers our ambient stress to put down our story on page. But for so long, the concept of journaling has been meant to be private. And not that there's an element of our stories that privacy is beneficial, but I, I like the idea of what you said of what if more people could read what was happening beneath the surface? 
inside our minds, inside our bodies. And I think we could build a little bit stronger of a community that way. And I'll pause there because I know I went off on a little bit of a tangent, but no, I just was excited awesome. about some of what you reflected on the front of our conversation. And I think I told you a little bit about OnSite, but if I missed that, feel free to ask for more clarification. One of the experiences I had, and I thought you might get a kick out of this, but I went to this thing. This was years ago, and I was much younger and very – I hadn't even really grown up at all. And uh, it was like this group counseling thing that some friends of mine were a part of. And they had this one moment where it was just a train wreck of a weekend for me because I just was not ready to like open up. I just, I, you know, and I kind of have this public platform. It's just, and I'll just never forget this one moment, Miles. And I hope when I tell you this, you can promise me that when I come to onsite that this will never happen to me. But (laughs) they had this moment at the end of the weekend where they would ask you a series of questions and you would stand up and answer this cyclical series of questions. And when your group felt like they, you were being honest and letting the truth be told, per se, they would stand up for you. But you had to keep answering these questions until everybody in your group stood up as if to say, we all believe you're being honest. And so, Miles, I will never forget this moment. I stood up, and the question was like, what is it you want in life? And at the time, I was like, well... I just signed a record deal. I want to make a great record. I want to write songs and change the world. I'm getting married. I said, and how will that make you feel? I said, well, it'll make me feel like I'm pursuing God's call on my life and I've accomplished something. Or, you know, what are you going to do to achieve that? And those, those three questions, right? And nobody stood up. So they asked him again and nobody stood up. And I kept answering the same way, but maybe a little louder and a little more angry each time. Finally, the leader of this thing comes by and says, Matthew, How come nobody's standing up for you? And I just lost it. I was like, I don't know. Why did you ask them? All I know is you guys are trying to get me to cry. And I just want to get the heck out of here. And I lost my temper. And at that moment, the entire group stood up. (laughs) And I just was like losing my mind, you know. But I clearly wasn't ready for that kind of moment in my life. So you're clearly somebody who's done the hard work on you. What does it mean to get a PhD in yourself? It's uh, hard to jump into that question without commenting on what you just shared. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, I guess my point being is just that story was such a like crazy moment that almost like scared me away from doing the work on myself. I feel a need to apologize on behalf of my profession for that moment <laughs> uh, and, to, and to own that. I'm proud of the space that I work and yet it can be flawed and imperfect. And there are so many good reasons why certain people have had negative experiences and or connotations around it because they were just flat negative and they were. And one of the things that we do uh, that we really strive to do at onsite, and I think we do quite well at the very least, no matter what kind of sophisticated clinical modalities we might introduce people to as an opportunity for them to change at the very least, no matter what we do, we don't add shame to anybody's story. Mm-hmm. We just don't. And uh, when we do, we own it and we repair it. And I think exposing people in that way, and it was, and look, I don't want to pick on these folks. I'm probably sure it was really well-intended and there was probably some people that, that benefited from it. But right now, on the hills of humanity coming out of lockdown, social anxiety is at an all-time high. It was pretty high to begin with, but it accelerated it because we all went into, you know, hiding for a good reason, but that pours fuel on social anxiety. And social, all social anxiety is, is when we feel when we're in the company of other people that we're being judged. That sounds like that's a little bit of what happened to oh, you. Yeah. Oh, in that yeah. experience is that you were basically, these people were invited to judge your truth, which is yeah. <laughs> um, so counterintuitive to just the, the core principles of supporting people to living into their, their best life, which is really counseling. So if I could go back and, and uh, own our flaws and apologize for your experience, uh, <laughs> man, I just, my skin crawled when you were telling me that I was like, no, when I was, when I was thinking about us speaking today, that was the first memory that popped into my brain. And uh, I just thought, if nothing else, you'd get a kick out of the story. But uh, so you can assure me that moment's not going to take place at onsite. <laughs> All right. No, yeah, we're, we're pretty much um, 
couldn't be further from that experience. And everything that that we do in our context is highly invitational. People get to drive it. You know, you don't get put into scenarios. And when it comes to working within groups, which we love that opportunity, then there's a the baseline, the foundation is built on psychological safety, which is unconditional acceptance and just being uh, seen, heard, and valued as you are. And surprisingly, if you have that built in to your effort, then you really don't have to do much else. Just get out of people's way and really great stuff can happen. But there's so many environments out there where we don't do that. Anyway, circling all the way there. Thanks for sharing that with me, by the way. And I hope you do come sometimes so we get to repair that experience for you. Yeah. Oh, man, I'm looking forward to it. But I love what you said about being determined not to add shame to anybody's story because you know, everybody has enough shame of their own that they're dealing with. So I love that, you know, Onsite is committed to be a place to help lift the shame off the shoulders instead of adding more, more shame on. So that's beautiful. Yeah. It's often, you know, when the idea of personal growth and counseling comes through the lens of we need to do better and be better some way to reconcile the parts of our stories that ain't, aren't serving us. And it's almost like we set it up to as human beings, we're problems to be solved. And I don't think we're problems to be solved. I think we're humans to be engaged. I think when it's done well, it is being able to sit in another human being and just reflect your experience with them. And far too often, those of us, not to just stay on this lane of picking on our profession, I think it happens in every profession. It happens in in faith and business and politics and education. We get so wrapped around the modalities that can keep us safe and predictable around what we know that we've failed to show you who we are. And it takes the humanity out of relationship. It takes the humanity out of, and, and without that, there's no trust. And without trust, there's no change. And so good counseling, good ministry, good what you know, good education is really built on relational trust. And there's a few principles that have to be in place for that to happen. And then you can get fancy with what you've learned and studied. I don't want to diminish that. But without that other piece, you know, that's why I wanted to start off the the whole conversation, when you shared something vulnerable, I was like, in my mind, I was like, well, me too. I can actually relate to that historically and current time. Yeah, that's awesome. I could have jumped ahead, but I just wanted to say, yep, I got it. You know, me too. I, I've been there. But asking that question, I appreciate you asking that about the PhD and myself. That actually came from, I was actually doing some personal work about 20 years ago, which is what was the catalyst to get me into this space. I, at that point, had a mountain of shame, the fact that I had landed in a place within a program where I felt like I needed to be, and I needed to be, to work on some things in my life that just weren't flowing, and I felt really stuck, and it was really dark. And But after I got over the initial hump, and some of this information started to come in, not through the lens of, this is what's wrong with you, that you need this, it's actually, wait a minute, maybe it's what's right with me, that I'm pursuing a better version of myself, and maybe the reason that I'm here is uh, a good thing, not a bad thing. When I started hearing it through that lens, I'm telling you, Matthew, I was just wild over this information. It was almost like somebody was giving me a new language, but it was my birth language I was supposed to have all along. And I'd never heard it. It's hard to explain, but it felt like oxygen. I was like, whew, I've never identified stuff like this. I've never been this honest. I've never talked like this. I've never even known that I could tell you what I was feeling and that that would matter or mean something. And when I got it, I was just on fire with it. And I was ready to completely shift gears out of the career I was in and jump into the change space and try to help people experience what I'd had an opportunity to experience. But that was like two weeks into my initial first process. And... I mean, I was on the back of my, they have things in our space called treatment plans where they'll put together like notes um, to uh, identify things and goals that you want to work on. Maybe what might in your history might be holding you back, all that stuff. Well, I had on the back of my treatment plan, a business plan. I started marking every page with like, here's how I want to take this content information to the world. No idea what I was doing. I was completely naive. And there was this really wise mentor who was a sage counselor. He'd been doing this for a really long time. And he sat in front of me. I said, well, first I'm going to do this. I have my plan Then I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to get this education. I think I can do it within you know a year. What he could have done. And I think what I honestly think what 90% of the people in his shoes would have done, it may have been what I would have done from time to time when I was younger in my career was I would have redirected that moment and said, you know what? 
you're here to work on you. You need to quit focus on trying to help other people. You're not ready for that. You need to stay in your lane. And is that true? Yes. Would have added shame to my story? A hundred percent. Would it potentially have diminished my excitement in pursuit of the human spirit? Yes. What he did instead was he sat back in his chair and he looked at me and he said, you know, there are a lot of people in this space. I've been doing this for 40 years and I've seen people who have made an impact. I've seen people who have come and gone, but the people who stick around the longest, who get the most fulfillment and meaning from this as a career and a profession are those not who get education in everything else, but those who get a PhD in themselves. And for whatever reason, he said exactly what I said earlier. You know, he redirected me, but he did it in such a gentle, loving way that I got it. I was like, click. Okay. So the best thing I could do to further myself as a professional in pursuit of this as a profession is to do more work on me. And that's been my truth ever since. Um, Now, I did go get formally educated. I got all that stuff, too. And I don't want to. That's important. But not, I believe, as important is knowing who you are as you show up in the context of what you do. And that's not a one thing you check off your list. It wasn't like, oh, I got that card back then. I I get to keep doing. I used to say I need to or have to keep doing. And now I realize it's no, I, I don't need it. I deserve it. So does everybody else. But now I I get to every year, just keep being on that path of pursuing the best version of me. And some years that's quite challenging because I'm dealing with a lot of adversity and stress and other years, things are going quite well, but I still get to do it year by year. And it makes me better at who I am and what I do. You described yourself as at one point in your life being a shame-based man. And I wrote that down. What was it about hitting that point where you stopped? And you talk a lot about running too. Like when it, it sounds like you came to a point in your life where you stopped running and you're in this program and you're receiving something that's feeling like oxygen. What was it you were receiving in that moment that specifically made you just go like felt like you could breathe deep for the first time enough for you to wind up coming out of there and completely even changing the trajectory of your professional and personal life? Not to oversimplify it because it was a lot. I mean, there was a lot that I received, I think, that would adequately answer that question. But at the very core, it was, you know, I grew up in a faith-based home, so I'd always heard about grace. I'd been taught about it, but I don't know that I'd never ever really experienced it without condition. And so I, I guess it would have been just unconditional grace, grace without condition which I guess is what grace is about, but I really got to experience it. And I tell you, it's what drives me every day because I get to see it. I get a front row seat of getting to see it and be a part of, in a sense, facilitation is not the right word, but just holding space for an environment where that is the way we show up every day for one another. And I, I get so passionate about it that I think, man, if we could take parts of what I get to see every day and ripple that out into the world, I think we might have a more connected world. So, you know, in addition to that, it was just getting understanding the value of emotional intelligence, having some power, understanding, strength, some empathy around my my mood and my feelings towards myself and other people. All of that stuff felt so enlightening because what it did is it helped me start to understand the parts of my stories that for the longest time I had held hostage under this cloud of shame of And it kept me from speaking my truth. It's these parts of my story. There's no reason they should be here. If I go back and I'm a, I'm a problem solver, I'm pretty analytical. If I go back in my timeline and assess my story based on my early imprints, of course it wasn't perfect, but there wasn't enough adversity in my mind early on to create filters that would have made me make some messes in my life. So I held myself accountable for every mess I'd ever made. And put my standard on myself that said, you don't get to do that. And the fact that you have means you're a pretty broken and flawed human and probably pretty destined, before I got out of that cloud and raised that ceiling, you're probably pretty destined to keep repeating that pattern in your life. So best to keep it secret and not talk to anybody because other people are probably going to kick you out of the tribe if they know what you know. Does that make sense? Makes a lot of sense. I mean, you've, I've heard something that you said about you know, the desire to protect your story. It almost sounds like you're saying... If you had come from a, you know, dysfunctional childhood that maybe 
you could have explained away some choices or whatever. Is that what you're saying? Like, no, man, I grew up in too good of a home to wind up doing making this choice. Is is that how we sort of measure it a little bit? It is, yeah. And and I want to be clear too that it's not. I'm not sure I fully buy into the concept of functional homes. You know, I do think there are elements and parts of people's upbringing and homes that are quite functional. But it's impossible, I think, not to have adversity in our homes, in our marriages, in our lives, in our parenting. It's it's impossible. But there is this unconscious standard that we set. And because of that standard, it's almost as if if you don't have overt trauma, if you didn't have physical, sexual, emotional, psychological abuse in your home, and I just named, that's just some of it. There could be a whole lot more overt trauma then you don't have permission to have problems. And or if you do, then they're your fault. I work with people who have a hard time making sense of their story based on where they come from. And I, I work with a whole lot of people because trauma is one of our specialties that have experienced unthinkable traumatic circumstances, just God-awful stuff that they experienced. And even those folks who have every reason to say, oh my gosh, my dad was a monster. Of course I would go repeat some things, they still feel it was my fault. There is that, you know, those beautiful moments that you see in, in film and in TV where you, you have that, uh, Robin Williams, Matt Damon moment. Where I was it's, just it's thinking not, of that. Like your fault. where it makes you cry, even though, I mean, you're not Matt Damon, but I think in some ways everybody sees themselves at the Matt Damon moment where he's, <laughs> he just starts breaking down. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. And finally it's like, he's cracking through that surface. That's immediately what I was thinking about when you said that I watched a documentary of this, one of the most famous and successful music producers and songwriters, David Foster. Have, by any chance, have you seen this documentary about David Foster? He, you know, discovered Celine Dion and all these others. Yeah, I, I know David. I've met him a few times, but I've not seen the documentary. When did it come out? Gosh, maybe in the last year. But it's phenomenal. I mean, he talks about his success as a career. But there's one moment where his wife is saying how she's going to get him to counseling, that she's going to be the first one who's going to be able to get him to see a counselor and David is like a self, like he would say in the documentary, like, you know, self-described narcissist or whatever. And at one point he just like kind of looks at the camera and says, you'll never get me to go to counseling because I'm afraid of what I will find. And like, he just kind of laid it out there. Like, I'm not going to go, you know, and, and his wife's going, Oh, he's going. And I don't even know where it ever landed, but I just remember seeing that, like hearing that sentence, I'm afraid of what I might find. What would you say to somebody who's even listening right now? Who's going, you know what? The thought of getting, I would rather get a PhD in anything other than myself because I too am afraid of what I will find. Such a good question. I would probably say, it makes total sense because I think our fundamental fear is of the unknown. I really believe that's the fundamental fear in all of us. And if, if you understand the way we are all conditioned and programmed from the earliest age as, as a human species, it is the way we've evolved and been successful is that we had the ability to plan and problem solve. But when there is something that feels like we can't plan around this because we don't actually know, we have to relinquish a little bit of our control, then of course that will feel like significant fear. It's supposed to. It's normal. Um, I work in the space. I've seen the other side personally and professionally over and over and over again. And yet I still have some fear of the unknown. And what's been different for me is that I stopped a few years ago trying to outrun fear, trying to beat it back and pretend as if it doesn't belong in my story or get a seat at the table. And I finally invited it in and said, what do you, you know, I'm just curious, you know, welcome to the table. I'd like for your voice not to be quite as loud sometimes, but I, know, I realize you're not going to go anywhere and I'm just tired of, tired of fighting you because a version of fighting fear would be saying, 
might could be. I'm not. I don't want to speak for David, but it could be that response. I'm never going to go look at that because I'm scared of what I would find. That's a way of saying fear. You don't belong in this narrative. And one way I can keep you out is by pretending that whatever you're trying to tell me doesn't exist, and I'm not interested in it. And in my belief, that that comes at a cost, and oftentimes it can hurt ourselves and and the people around us in the long run. But the most important thing I'd want anybody to hear who relate to that is that's not necessarily what's wrong. That's probably what's right, that you're feeling a significant amount of fear about the unknown within your story, because that's the way we're conditioned. That's the way we're wired. And by the way, if you've experienced compound stress or adversity, which most humans have, which we would call psychological trauma, then that even adds another layer on top of it that would inform you neurologically before you even get to the prefrontal part of your brain that gives you logic and reasons back in your, your limit. That would inform you to stay away from that. It's like, Ooh, that is not important for survival. So we don't need that. So let's not pursue it. So all for all of those reasons, I would say you are human. That's a normal response. What would you say is waiting on the other side when you give fear at the seat at the table? You know, what are all of the blessings and the gifts that you give yourself by finally deciding to stop running? That's just the first step. Fear at the giving fear at the seat of the table is not necessarily the process that would move you into the change that I think you're describing or kind of wanting to to invite maybe those listening, what would be on the other side of that. But it's just, it would just be where I would start because I think anything else would be a push or a pull, which is what we typically do when we want people to change behavior. We give them a carrot or a stick and try to incentivize them or confront them. Neither of which creates sustainable change because it's not our idea. It's, it's, it's our idea, not your idea. And so first, I don't want to just keep saying, when you say I'm not going and I just keep saying you're going, no, you're going to go, you're going to go. What we're doing in that moment is getting someone further away from going. And even if they did, then that would be called compliance, which is our number one form of resistance as human being. The fastest way I can get those that love me to shut up is to do what I want them to do, do what they want me to do. Wow. Yeah. But I'm not doing it for me. I'm doing it for them. So first I would try to build relational trust and just say, yep, totally makes sense. And then if you can get that, if you can start to see a little bit of relational trust, then you can start to join people and nudge them forward to a more curious stance about what's underneath the surface. And yeah, I mean, and then there's a few steps in that process. But for the most part, when you start to embrace the part of yourself that feels uncertain, that feels a little lost, that feels insecure, which we all have a little bit of that imposter element to who we are, no matter how successful we are, then there's a freedom there that it's what you get promised in in a lot of other lanes. Like if you do these things, you will feel this way. But in this case, it's it's not really by doing uh, that makes you feel this way. It's by surrendering a part of control, allowing yourselves to safely look at certain parts of your stories that might be holding you back. It doesn't mean counseling doesn't mean you have to go dig up every traumatic thing that's ever happened in your life. That's a myth. Too. Sometimes it's not even necessary. And then sometimes it is. But done in the right context. All of that stuff that can feel weighty on your story and that can hijack your subconscious, it just gets quieter. And the neighborhood in which your mind lives gets a little bit more peaceful. Actually, a lot more peaceful in my case. And a lot of people. So uh, yesterday I was on campus and uh, I walked around at dinner just before I left to come home and people were on the, the last day of one of our marquee programs called the Living Center Program. And they didn't have to say it. I could just see it in their eyes. But as I, I just went around and said, hey, you know, how was your experience? I appreciate you being here. And um, life changing came up. Um, I feel more connected to myself than I've ever felt. I didn't know you could do community this way. I've lived 40 years or 50 years in this that one particular example. And I've never been known like this. And it feels really good. So that's what can happen. And the oxygen that you talked about in your own journey, like the words in my mind right now, just the, the, the thought of the oxygen of unconditional grace. I feel like I had a friend say to me once, it's like, man, you have more songs about grace than any other topic. And 
I was just like, at first I was like, well, maybe just chalk that up to being in the contemporary Christian music genre. But man, when I kind of did some inventory of my own songs, it was just like, I literally wrote down, I write about what I know I need, you know, what too many times I don't think I deserve. And then what gives me hope to like, still wake up in the morning and and do it again, you know, because I feel like a lot of times and I feel like a lot of people that I encounter by way of the music that I'm sending them, we're sharing this common struggle of talking and singing about and celebrating God's grace for us, but then absolutely refusing to let ourselves off the hook, which is where the shame comes in. It's like, how can we give thanks to the giver of grace and then refuse to give ourselves a little. And I feel like in that contradiction is where shame is born and where we maybe begin strangling ourselves in a sense and and not allowing ourselves to feel the oxygen that you felt in that in that change making moment that you described in your own life. Come on. I'm writing notes over here. I write about what I need and then you said and or deserve yeah, I think I think we all do in a sense. That's what I. That's why I do what I do. I didn't get into it by accident. I got into it through the lens of my own pain, and then through reconciling my story, I found a passion uh, to want to see others experience the same thing. But for the first, don't get me wrong, for the first five ten years of my career, I was still chasing my own story through the lens of other people's transformation. Thankfully, I had some good mentorship then, and people that caught me midway through when I would get burned out or exhausted or start struggling with the same stuff that got me into the space and said, you know, let's get your feedback on the ground and let's look at why you're doing this. And is it fulfilling you as much as it is the people you're serving? If not, you're going to burn out and it's not going to work. And we've seen, as you know, we've seen far too many people in your space in the creative space from artists uh, in the faith space, from pastors in my space, from counselors, they usually don't get as much of a headline, but that crash and burn, uh, oh, through the lens of chasing our own story through others' unreconciled pain. And so what I hear you saying is actually, yeah, I'm going to own that, that a lot of what I have been writing and continue to write about in hopes that others will hear it and it will move them is actually a lot of what I need. Once we know that, I think it's our greatest opportunity. It turns, it goes from obstacle to opportunity. It's like, oh yeah, boom, I get to be human. I forgot about that. My friends, you know a song of mine called Truth Be Told. Well, I'm going to let the truth be told right now. 2020 has been a hard year for many of us, maybe the hardest year we've ever had to face. And if you're anything like me, you'll know what I say when there's been more than one moment in 2020 where I feel like my spiritual health, mental health, emotional health has been threatened and weakened. And as proud as I am, it's hard to admit when I need to talk to somebody, when I need some help. But here's a newsflash. There are not enough self-help books in the stores to give me the strength and the wisdom I need to rise up and face every obstacle that's going to come my way. You and me, we can't do it alone. We need help. And that's why I want to tell you about my friends at BetterHelp. This is what they want to help you do. They want to assess your needs and then match you with your own licensed professional therapist. Then you get the opportunity to connect in a safe and private online environment. It is so convenient and you don't have to deal with the awkwardness of sitting in a waiting room. You can start communicating in under 24 hours. You get to send a message to your counselor anytime. You get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. BetterHelp has licensed professional counselors who specialize in areas like anger, depression, stress, family conflicts, anxiety, relationships, and the list goes on. They've got a counselor that's right for you. It's professional, it's super affordable, which is so important in times like these. Listen, the heartbeat of the Matthew West podcast is to help you in whatever chapter of your story you find yourself in, to let you know that you're not alone, that God has great plans for you, and the best is yet to come. But sometimes it's important to talk to somebody and get the wisdom and help you need. I want you to start living that happier and more fulfilling life today. As a listener of this podcast, you're going to get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com MWP. Join over 1 million people who've taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash MWP.
when you talked about going through treatment of your own, but how you had a business plan on the back of the page, uh, like that resonated with me so much in a very similar way, where it's like every even crisis that I face, like I never stop dreaming and like just planning and getting excited about how this is going to impact culture or whatever it might be. And I remember I had a counselor say to me, talk about this term, the flight to health miles, you know, like, I don't know if it's like, maybe, maybe that's not the exact term, but I just remember this words of like, I was coming back from vocal cord surgery. There was something about my journey of rehab on my throat where like I had one final appointment with the therapist and I didn't go back. I didn't show up at the hospital. And I was talking to the counselor about like, why didn't I like, why didn't I just go and like check that box and finish my, my treatment on my, on my body. And I was just like ready to go. And it was, had already planned how this was going to be turned into something that was going to impact people. And I just felt like I got slowed down in the best way by the, that counselor's words, like this term to the flight to health about like just rushing into finding the purpose for whatever the pain was maybe. And that's probably not the clinical definition of that term, but I just, it resonated with me in a big way of like not sitting in it long enough, you know, and instead of just going, okay, sit yourself up, let's go. You're ready to go. And you really haven't done the hard work from broken to healing and you're still trying to run that race with a limp you know yeah so well said and yeah that two distinct times in my career that i pulled myself out of the lineup and i had a team around me that supported me to do that when wow. i needed to, you know to sit in front of an executive management team and say i'm not one to let's share everything before it's reconciled but i think there's an element if you've got trust with people to share enough to say, I'm not fit to lead. That's not the the narrative there. It is um, the best thing I can do as your leader right now is resolve something and take a pause and take a break. That's awesome. And that's great leadership. And it's amazing to empower other people to step up to support you in your absence. And then you end up getting to do them when you get back. And then later on, if you find it relevant and part of your story to share a little bit more once you've done some of that work around some of that, then that sometimes is helpful too. That image of pulling yourself out of the lineup, that's a powerful image. Like that's big. Do you miles like in a way, maybe 2020 with the pandemic, it's like, you're going to pull yourself out of the lineup and sometimes life's going to pull you out of the lineup and put you on the sidelines in a way facing with that reality. I also think about like, when I was stalking you on social media, preparing for today's chat, you like pulled something else out of your life. You like, you had an awareness moment and you decided I'm going to do what you call the digital cleanse. And that's something you encourage a lot of the folks who come through onsite, right. To embark upon that journey, which is probably harder than we would even realize. What was the goal there in doing a digital cleanse, pulling social media and stuff out of your life just like you pulled yourself out of the lineup. What, what do people have to gain from that? And why is that important at times to do that? Surprisingly, if, if you ever want to do it and haven't done it, there, it's, you know, it used to be one of our, that was a, a before it's time idea to say, we're going to pull technology when you come stay with us. So anybody that comes to onsite, you know, where they do a digital detox and we don't do the phones and all that stuff. And, you know, that was a huge obstacle 15, 10, 15 years ago, there were people I know that really wanted to come, but just said, I'm not doing that. I don't see the point. As technology and the pace of our, the way we communicate digitally has sped up exponentially, there are now people that will say, I don't really want to do any of the on-site stuff. I just want to come give you my phone for a week. <laughs> so <laughs> it's really turned in now for, to, to more of an opportunity that people want to do it. But I will say doing it in the context of when you're with other people that are doing the same thing, it's way easier and way more digestible to say, I'm going to go to onsite where it's a curated environment, where there's no technology. Everybody's doing a digital detox. We can all relate. It still comes with the detox process where you really miss it for about 24 hours and but then usually after about three days in, you just don't want it back. It's difficult to get people to want to get back on it. Well, I've been, you know, sharing that message for a long time. I've been a big believer in um, digital cleanse and digital detox. 
And I've been trying to find my way with the relationship with social media. I'm sure like anybody else, it's trying to infuse what they do, who they are. You know, I love sharing stuff about my family and I know it's important to share things about my work. So I know it's part of the job in a sense. And I think I treat it that way as times. And then at other times, I'm just like everybody else. I get a little wrapped around the axle of I can't separate who I am from what the way the world sees me on social media. And that's kind of what happened to me around the end of last year. I I was dealing with two things. One, um, I had consumption fatigue. I started doubling up on my news intake. I was getting it in traditional channels like the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, and reading it. And then I would get it on social media feeds. And then I would get it on on, uh, the news, uh, cable news. And so just like our operating systems, I think we have capacity limitations. Our soul and our mind does. And mine hit hit its limit. And I didn't recognize it right away. I wish I would have. I didn't recognize it right away. But I just noticed some symptomatic elements to feeling overwhelmed, uh, which was I started losing my patience at home, started getting my wife and I would pride ourselves on fighting really well or arguing really well. But I haven't done that as well. I haven't held up my end of that bargain. I've been too short. And even when I was seeing it, I couldn't stop it. And that told me I didn't have the margin to be able to step back and reset my reality and reconnect to who, who I know I am. That's good. The icebreaker was when I posted something at of an attempt to send out a positive message. And it ended up, because it was a pretty political thing, it ended up having a retroactive element. And I got taken to task for it. And I'm a human and I never want to get to a place where I say, I don't care what people think about me at all, because I think that's unhealthy. I care. Of course, I care what people think about me and I don't like getting bullied online. But if I care to the point where people I don't know's messages keep me up at night, that's information. It's not what's wrong. It's just like, oh, huh, I've been up for two nights thinking about, you know, what people said about me or to me. That's when I said, I've got to, I've got to do what I share is important for everybody else to do. And so I did it. Yeah. I took two weeks off and two weeks turned into a month, which turned into six weeks. I just extended it because I was loving the benefit so much of having that margin back into my life. And to be honest, it's, it's informed me so much that since I did it, I realize that I, I do want to understand. I think there's so much positive that can come from social media. I do want to understand it. I do want to put a good message out there, but I don't want to do it alone. And I do, I'm thankful I do have the privilege to be able to bring somebody alongside me. And that's what I'm going to give a go in this season. It's, I think she starts next week and it's somebody who loves social media. She's good at it. And so I'm going to, I've asked, basically asked for help because it was either me. I was either going to say, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm folding the, the tent or I'm going to get help to do it. So that's what I'm. You never know. Like some dude like me is digging into your socials and, and hearing some different things that you've posted that you've shared and they like. It was the best thing I had consumed of that entire time being online. And so I like the thought of, you know, guys like you who've done the work and have a desire to to bring about change in other people's lives while also being a work in progress yourself. Like voices like yours need to occupy those spaces. So just know that when I picked up your Instagram account for the first time and started watching stuff, I'm like, man. This is speaking to me. This is awesome. This is, and it felt like that's a moment where I went to social media and actually left better having had the experience. And you're going to continue to be that, whether it's through OnSite, uh, a book that you sounds like you're writing a book, through your podcast, which is the Living Centered Podcast, um, which is out right now. Is that a weekly podcast? Well, it's new. I'm so excited about it. Um, And I've been busy managing a few things to transition, but the t- I tell you that the team gets all the credit. You That's know, awesome. Post Lindsay Nobles and then McKenzie behind the, behind the scenes, but there are, they have done an amazing job putting together this podcast. It's great. Super excited about it. And yeah, it's weekly. It is out now. It's been out for, I think we're on like the sixth or seventh episode that's been released and it's been a lot of fun. So thanks for mentioning that. Well, the reason I laughed is because the fact that uh, you were like, is it weekly? I was like, man, my podcast is weekly and you better believe 
I am highly aware of the weekliness of it <laughs> because the deadlines are breathing down my neck. So um, the uh, it sounds like you've got a great team around you uh, helping to execute that. So I want to encourage everybody listening to this to to go and, and, and get fed by listening to the Living Centered podcast. We're also going to post a link to all the on-site materials and website. Miles, man, I uh, this has been so good for me personally. Uh, I feel like you need to send me a a bill for this hour. I want to just leave you with one last question. If I can, I ask every guest, I talk about a blue couch moment and you know, my faith is the driving force of my life. And I have a blue couch story. And it was me as a 13 year old kid, a very vivid memory for me sitting down on a blue couch in the living room of my childhood home and looking for a Chicago Cubs baseball game, but accidentally stumbling across a Billy Graham crusade. And there was a moment just where this 13-year-old kid, preacher's kid at that, kind of let his walls down and everything he'd heard his dad say, just something actually just became real to him instead of just the family business. And I always remember that moment. And a lot of my journey is like feeling like maybe I'm a million miles away from that kid on a blue couch and God kind of reminding me that he didn't stay on that blue couch, but he desires to have blue couch moments with us along the way where he continues to show how real he is in our lives. But I love asking each guest before our time ends, if there's a blue couch moment in their life that stands out, just maybe one uh, as a young person or as an adult, you've already shared one where that moment where you just breathed in oxygen. I believe that was the epitome of a blue couch moment as well. Is there one that comes to mind for you before we part ways? I grew up on a farm and it was, you know, we didn't farm for a living. It was a more of a hobby farm, but I was around, I was just around it. You know, I was around horses. I was, and I grew up outside just running all over the place. And there was, I feel closer to God, more at peace, more true to myself, more playful when I am outside uh, without much to do other than be outside. And uh, so I would say in 2020, when everything stood still, travel stopped, and I got faced with a harsh reality, which there were a lot of things that happened in 2020. I had some health challenges. And then, of course, we were like every other business out there wondering if we'd make it. Wow. Yeah. I couldn't do much about that. And so I went outside and I stayed outside as much as I could from March till now, you know, for the year. I got into back into gardening. I, all the things I love outdoors, I started doing them outdoors. I started taking my meetings outside. I started making time and creating margin to be outside. And for the most part, I've held on to that as my schedule started filling back up. Yesterday was a Monday, for example. And I think we had 30 something things on a, on a to-do list. And I don't think we got any of them. And she's smiling. That's my colleague, Joe Carroll. She and I work <laughs> together and we kind of, those are both of our lists. And we weren't probably, she probably wasn't smiling yesterday. She's like, where's that lip? But she, um, we, she's smiling because I think we got home last night and we had a full day and we didn't do anything we planned to do. But what we did was I've got these, I've got these two baby goats and I took like several of our staff. I've got several of our clients that were on campus and brought them over and let them hold the baby goats. Wow. Uh, we harvested some honey from our beehive yesterday and I let people taste honey out of the hive that, that had never done that before. That's awesome. And when we pulled into the driveway was last night, right at dark, it was like, well, we made a lot of people smile today. And I said, but we didn't really get anything done on our list. And she said, I think we got everything done on our list. Come on. Because that that's is a, awesome. a good day. So I think the blue couch moment for me would be, I feel closer to my faith now that I'm taking time to reacquaint myself with my roots and be outside in God's creation. So that's awesome. Yeah. I tell you what, and, and the word I keep coming back to, even as you describe those moments is oxygen. It's like, Maybe, maybe that's what I love about those blue couch stories and blue couch moments is I feel like even when someone's sharing that for them, it's like breathing in. And those are moments where, you know, God is real to us. He's always on display. Are we paying attention? And when we do, I love the idea of, of just leaving the list behind and being willing to follow where the day may lead you. And then 
imagine that we discover some blue couch moments along the way miles you probably do a ton of interviews and things like this but i just uh, can't thank you enough for for taking the time to do this for sharing a bit of your story your heart about why you have on site and what you hope the change can be taking place in other people's lives what can be brought about by their time at onsite and i'm excited for you to write a book because i will devour it is that uh, almost done or uh, in the works it's in the works okay. yeah we're we're making good progress on it and just stepped out of my role at onsite and into a role that's going to allow me to spend a lot more time on it so thank you i'm super excited to get that out there well it's going to take a lot longer if you keep petting baby goats so <laughs> so maybe we'll we'll find a better work-life balance there uh, <laughs> um hey miles i appreciate it i look forward to getting to, to know you some more and we're going to point everybody to the podcast and to on-site man uh you're doing some great things and uh encouraging me to get a phd in myself which is uh really an important thing so thank you so much thank you this has been a pleasure and what a great way to start the day i've heard great things about you i know we got a lot of mutual friends and uh it's fun that we got to meet this way, but you know, I know we're doing a podcast, so it just felt like a great conversation. So thanks for having me. I got some goats I want to introduce you to. <laughs> <laughs> now it's time for songs from the story house. Today's song from the story house is off of the album brand new, and it's the final track on the record. It's called the man who needed grace. Check it out. Once upon a time there was a man who needed grace With a trail of bad decisions left behind him He had a heart full of guilty and a head hung in shame Feeling like forgiveness could never find him But then the light broke through the dark And the voice he heard said, who you were? Well, that's not who you are anymore It's not the end Now this is just where second chances begin Now I'm forever changed And until my days are done I'll be telling everyone About the God who loved the man who needed grace I feel like this song is a sneaky anthem And what I mean by that is it starts with just that little acoustic guitar part and the sort of, I don't know, maybe Simon and Garfunkel, Mrs. Robinson kind of vibe. And then the lyrics start with a very storytelling vibe. Those lyrics, once upon a time, there was a man who needed grace. But then it kind of erupts in that chorus. And I just couldn't help myself because at the end of the day, this song about a man who needs grace is not a defeat song. This is a victory song. And it's what I felt like was maybe the perfect exclamation mark at the end of a record about what it means to be brand new in Christ, knowing that you're not yet the finished version of yourself, but you can smile and hold your head up high because you know that God is continuing to work on you day by day and his grace is sufficient for you day by day. Listen to this second verse and chorus and you'll hear what I'm talking about. Now the man who needed grace still knows how to make a mess There's never been a day that found me perfect All the grace just keeps on showing me exactly what it is A gift that goes to those who don't deserve it And nothing I could ever do Compares to what's been done for me I'm free and all because of you my debt is paid My sins are gone my soul can't stop singing this victory song Ooh, Now I'm forever changed And until my days are done I'll be telling everyone About the God who loved the man who needed grace yeah. Now for the bridge of this song We tried several different options actually and landed on a what I think is a really cool section of the song. My favorite part is the background vocals that you'll have to listen to when you hear it next, but I love the background vocal part of this song. And of course, the lyrics, I decided we should go classic to the familiar words of Amazing Grace. I was picturing a crowd being able to pick this up right away. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, and, and yet in a different musical form than you would normally sing that melody. So... You know, at the end of the day, this song felt like the perfect way to finish the album, a victory anthem 
And the message of brand new is this, is that you and me are not the finished versions of ourselves yet, but we can hold our heads high. We can keep walking forward every single day, knowing that every single day God gives us new mercy and new grace, and he's making us more and more like him. And so for all the men and all the women who need grace, be encouraged because his grace is sufficient for you day in and day out. Go ahead and listen to the rest of this song and get pumped because this is the message that belongs to you and me, the victory we have in God's grace. Check it out. Yeah, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. Let all the saints and sinners sing. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. I once was lost, but now About the God who loved the man who needed grace. He's my dad and he gives great advice. And that's why this segment, this last segment of every show is called Dad Vice. He is my dad and he gives good advice. And that's why this segment is called Dad Vice. Dad, how you doing today? Doing fine, Matthew. Awesome. Hey, send us out with some encouragement like you always do. Come on. All right. Well, we're going to talk about uh, always remembering the the power of the blood of Jesus. And Jesus said in Matthew 26, 26 through 28, and we're going to focus on a phrase. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sin. Jesus introduced the fact that on Passover, just before he was crucified, he said, no longer is the Old Testament necessary as far as bringing a spotless lamb for your forgiveness of sin. Mm. I'm giving you my blood. And I I think we constantly need to put before us just what the blood of Jesus does for us. Sometimes we, on Easter and Good Friday, we think about it, but then we let it go. But there's so much power in the blood of Jesus that it it would help our spiritual lives to always remember, never forget, and and daily visit that if we can. And uh, I just want to share four quick things that we need to be reminded that the blood of Jesus does. One, we have forgiveness. Ephesians 1, 7, in whom we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of sin, according to the riches of his grace. Billy Graham said, be assured that there is no sin you have ever committed that the blood of Jesus Christ cannot cleanse. Secondly, we are cleansed from all sin. So we have forgiveness through the blood. We are cleansed from all sin, 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. The guilt of sin makes you feel dirty, but the blood of Jesus makes you feel clean. And what a great feeling that is. And thirdly, we are justified through the blood of Jesus. Romans 5, 9, having been justified by his blood, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Someone defined justified as just as if I've never sinned. It's hard to imagine for a day to go by without sinning several times. But the fact that God looks at us and through the blood of Jesus, it's just as if we've never sinned. And then lastly, we have victory over Satan. Revelation 12, 11. 
They, the believers on earth, overcame him, Satan, by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, and by the word of their testimony. Matthew, you wrote a beautiful song called Grace Upon Grace. And uh, just uh, a couple paragraphs. What reason do I have to wake up with the rising sun and not be held down by the weight of all the things I've done? What reason do I have to feel this hope instead of hurt? How can it be I don't receive the judgment I deserve? Wave upon wave, grace upon grace, endlessly washing my sins away, singing, what can wash away my sin and make me new again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What makes me white as snow? No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Let us never forget and be reminded daily of the power of the blood of Jesus. There is power, power, wonder-working power, power in the blood of the Lamb. Don't forget that today. Man, that's a great word. Thank you, Dad. All right, guys, that's our show for today. I want to thank Miles Adcox. What an amazing guy he is. I tell you what, there's such a peace, even just in his tone of voice and his thoughtfulness and response. Man, when you see authenticity, you want to be authenticity. And that's how I felt listening and hanging with Miles, and I hope you did too. And I loved his reminder of just how there's no need to add shame to our stories, but letting grace replace that shame. And also just the importance. Don't, don't let this pass by you today. The importance of we do hard work on everything else. So let's do the hard work on ourselves, right? Let's let's stop. Let's take inventory of how our lives are going and let's get to a place of personal and emotional and spiritual growth in our lives. That's what I hope this podcast provides for you. That chance every week just to do some work on yourself. Most importantly, to allow God to do some work in your life, right? Because that's where true life change happens. Uh, we're going to post more information about Miles Adcox and his counseling center called Onsite at matthewwest.com slash podcast. Also, just want to thank my dad, as always, for joining me with a great encouragement with dad advice every week. You guys always share with me how much you love my dad. I happen to agree. He's awesome. Thanks, Dad, for joining us. You're going to find out more about our ministry called Pop We at popwe.org. And last but not least, just so you don't forget, at the beginning of the show, I told you the exciting news, our next virtual concert. Tickets are on sale now for West Friends Fest. It's going to be unlike any virtual concert we've ever done. I'm bringing together a bunch of my friends who I love to make music with, an artist whose music you love, so you're going to hear a whole bunch of great music. It's going to be awesome. And as a listener of this podcast, you're getting five bucks off your ticket when you go to MatthewWest.com. Use the code PODCASTPAL at checkout and get five bucks off just because I love you. All right, make it a great week, a great rest of your week. And remember, as you step into the rest of your story, that this is the one shot you get. And remember that it's your story for his glory. Have a great rest of your week, and I'll see you next time. Seriously, I, I, I do. <laughs>